Welcome to the EMJ Podcast. I'm Ellen Weber, the Editor-in-Chief of the Emergency Medicine Journal. My guest today is a very special guest. His name is Dr. David Raven, and he is an emergency medicine consultant at Heartlands Hospital in Birmingham, part of the University Hospital's Birmingham NHS Foundation. And he's special because he and his team have won the prestigious 2018 BMJ Award for Emergency Medicine. And they've won that for the Hector Project. Now, Dr. Raven, I know of Hector as a Trojan prince, and I'm just wondering if your project has anything to do with that, or is it a totally different thing? Hi, thank you. Um, Hector essentially stands for the Heartlands Elderly Care Trauma and Ongoing Recovery Program. And and it's based on... um, trying to improve outcomes of care for older people who attend our emergency departments having sustained uh, traumatic injuries. And I guess the name Hector just fit nicely in with the project that we were doing and the actual symbol um, was the kind of Trojan helmets, which um, helmets being a kind of thing that keeps you safe, it all just kind of added together and that, that's where it all came from really. So can you tell us a little bit about this program and, and why you started it and what it does? Yeah, absolutely. So it started back in uh, 2012, really. Um, I was a newly qualified consultant in 2011. And one of my first tasks um, within our department at Heartlands Hospital was to was to set up the trauma unit. Um, so w- with the advent of trauma networks in 2012, um, we had to meet standard criteria such as submitting data to TARN, um, getting all of our resuscitation things in order, our, our kind of care-based activities in order. And from that, I, um, I basically realised the importance of data collection and um, keeping a very close eye on what was happening on the shop floor um, and kind of tried to start noticing pl- patterns that were developing. And, and one of the first things that we noticed was the, the actual numbers of older people that we were admitting with traumatic injuries. Um, and, and from that, we just started experiencing more and more of that age group coming in. And, and I guess it's part of how the trauma networks are set up in, in the sense that the, the younger pe- people involved in, you know, high energy mechanisms, they're the patients who will end up going to the major trauma center. Um, so our filtered group is more centered on those that haven't been involved in such high, high energy mechanisms. And that so turned out to be the older population. And on top of that, we, we noticed a kind of, um, not a high level of occurrences of risk, but a few incidents that came up on our radar. Um, and, and it was apparent that we couldn't just continue with the system as it was. There was a big gap in, um, in how we were delivering our service. And, and that's where we decided to approach the, the topic of silver trauma. And, and so what did you do to approach that? We basically decided that, well, We've got these great pathways for patients with neck of femur fractures, whereby they're looked after by orthogeriatricians. So they have a kind of high level of care. And yet patients with higher injury severity scores, more significant injuries, so spinal fractures, um, head trauma, so subdurals, significant trauma, um, they weren't getting the same level of input. Um, 
And we approached the medical director and said, we need to look at how we're delivering care and within the existing resource, how can we adapt things? Um, so the first thing we did is we looked at our response in the ED. Um, so that, that involved, um, you know, how we recognized uh, older people with trauma, how we performed our kind of trauma surveys, what imaging we did, how we would flag up um, you know, the potential risk of them developing delirium to the admitting specialities. Um, and then we developed a single page uh, daily assessment tool that encompassed all the learning from the British Geriatric Society Silver Book from 2012 um, to try and see if we can standardise care on the wards. And it was that whole entire package that we wanted to look at. It wasn't just one thing. It was like it was the delivery of care from point of arrival to the point of discharge it wasn't going to be sufficient just to look at emergency care we wanted to look at the whole pathway so who did you involve in this we we have a huge huge team of people who've been involved we pulled in people from um you know from geriatrics from um some people from itu obviously ed team and it, it was a case of winning hearts and minds and trying to say to people we need to do things differently because if we continue to go the path we're going on, things aren't going to improve. And, and we knew at that point in time that that patient group was going to be our, our kind of bread and butter of, of service when it, when it came to things like trauma or when it came to emergency medicine in general. So we needed to really up our game. And it was, you know, it's a case of doing presentations, doing podcasts, face-to-face -face meetings, meeting with ward-based teams. Um, I myself did some ward rounds with some of the tra trauma and orthopedic consultants that we could engage um, to get them to use the daily assessment tool. And we just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And, and I think from it, um, Hector, we, we could kind of sustain it to a certain degree. And you've been going since, uh, what, 2014? Um, yeah, so the data collection has been from 2014. Um, the preparatory work really has been since the end of 2012. So um, it's been, yeah, just just about six years now of kind of doing this, um, fine-tuning the work, getting massively frustrated at different things, that different obstacles get in the way, occasionally tearing my hair out and wanting to come home and just abandon everything altogether but I'm sure it's the same with anything that is trying to do something different you have to just persist and and have the courage of your convictions that change is needed. So that's an interesting story right there so I'm going to ask you two questions at one time so what has been the accomplishment of the program do you have any hard data or things you can really point to that have been worth tearing your hair out and what were the frustrations for people who might want to start this in their own hospitals, what do they need to know they're going to need to do and what they're going to come up against? The actual project that we had was a mixture of an education program and, and a pilot research program to kind of test whether something like this could be put out on a broader scale. And we had some uh, descriptive statistics that, that looked at some of our outcomes in terms of before we started the intervention compared to after the intervention. And we saw things like the length of stay um, reduced from about 23 and a half days before the a median length of stay uh, for all patients reduced from 23 and a half days before the intervention to about 16 after the intervention. Um, the number of complications that patients were having um, reduced from about 28.7% 
to 16.8%. And um, discharge destinations, so there are fewer people in um, supported kind of living uh, situations after the intervention as well. I mean, all, all of our data is taken with a pinch of salt, really, because we're a very underpowered study. We're talking quite small numbers. Um, the biggest achievement for me is to get the broader reach and and start winning people over outside our own department, which was, to be honest, it was quite unexpected. Um, I think other people began to see the need to do things differently. And, and it just so happened that we, we'd set up a two-day course um, to deliver training and ed education to people. And it was that product that was attractive to other people. One of the questions I wanted to kind of get to in this, what is it you're doing that's different? Because when we talk about elderly trauma, you know, and as you know, and as you've seen, it's sort of a stealth trauma. People come in, they don't often express the kinds of pain um, and symptoms of, and they don't often have a mechanism that attracts your attention. So is the problem that we're not recognizing the injuries or is it that the elderly patient has a lot more going on that we need to be paying attention to? I think it's a mixture of everything really. Um, I mean, from, from our perspective, one of the main things was to start identifying these people um, as soon as they arrived to our department, because invariably you would have, you know, a large queue at your front door and there's so many different conflicting needs. So your patients who are fast test positive, patients with STEMI, major trauma, sepsis, all of these different things are competing to who you can get to first. And the older person who'd fallen over may be the person who's at the back of the queue who we're not getting to as quickly as possible. And our pre-hospital triage systems hadn't adjusted to the kind of problems that they were facing. Uh, yeah, one example would be the, the old person who's fallen downstairs. Um, that wouldn't traditionally be alerted in as a trauma call to our service. And yet, if you take into account aging physiology and aging anatomy, when you put things together like osteoporosis, osteoarthritis of joints, organ atrophy, uh, polypharmacy added on top of it, frailty, all of those things will increase the impact of a, a trauma mechanism to an individual. So, you know, if you've got, you know, a young person who's fallen over, they may, you know, bump their chest, they may, you know, bump their leg but they'll be okay if you've got an older person with osteoporosis osteoarthritis they will they may fall a break a few ribs but those broken ribs will cause pain the effectiveness of their ventilation that will cause them to have basal atelectasis that will lead them to develop pneumonia which will mean that they have increased oxygen requirement which means it limits their ability to get up and get around which means that they're more vulnerable to venous thromboembolism which means that um, you're having to give them drugs that are, may have a big impact like you know your anticoagulants have already got renal impairment and there's so many multifactorial things that you need to address that you need to have sort of structured approach and, and that's what we tried to develop so we we've got our triage teams our assessment teams at the front door to recognize what kind of patients they need to worry about so it's you know your patient who's fallen downstairs your older person who's on an anticoagulant with a head injury or any injury above the collarbone any old person who has fallen with you know signs of chest trauma um, any high mechanism injury um, they would be alerted into a more senior clinician so we'd hopefully be aiming to get them seen 
by you know registrar grade or above if possible um, at the same time we would be doing an adjusted primary survey so um, it's looking at the neck and making sure we're not forcibly applying neck collars that could otherwise injure people um, it's making sure that we're not giving high flow oxygen to every single person when they may have COPD, uh, whereas we need to follow BTS guidance for targeted saturations. Uh, for things like circulation, you know, our standard trauma teaching of, you know, le levels and classifications of shock doesn't really apply to the older person who, um, may have an established hypertension so if they normally run at a blood pressure of 170 they may have traumatic injuries big blood loss and have a systolic of 120 but the untrained eye may say well you know that's a normal blood pressure so there's other things to consider when looking at circulation so raised lactate hypothermia um, any any evidence of coagulopathy all those things are relevant and then after the primary survey, having strict imaging criteria. So we've, we're supported by an amazing radiology team who, who have supported us in doing things like when we were asking for CT heads going down to the base of C2 so that odontoid peg fractures aren't missed, um, supporting us in getting chest CTs for patients where we're suspecting rib fractures, um, and then whole body trauma protocols for those high energy mechanisms. Um, and then using things like secondary survey to look for illness as well as injury. So any cardiac abnormalities, um, any signs of sepsis, any other medical issues that need to be have our attention drawn to. And then finally introducing something called the silver survey, um, which is screening for risk factors of delirium that could issue once patients are admitted. Well, wow, this is quite an undertaking. I mean, what you're describing is a you know a patient you know, that sort of has the equivalent of five patients or more in terms of complexity, things you need to think about and so forth. And this is our future. Yes. And, you know, what we've seen over the last few years is that that group of people, not just trauma or anything, the, the older demographic has more or less become the bread and butter of our workload. Um, and, and we need to adjust our training. I mean, I am, um, I graduated in 2003 and I probably had one week of geriatric medicine at medical school. Um, and, and it's those things that we need to address at a grassroots level. I think I've learned a lot about what we need to be paying attention to, and I hope our listeners have too. So I want to thank you again, Dr. David Raven. He's an emergency medicine consultant at Heartlands Hospital in Birmingham and lead on the Hector Project. And if you want more information about the project and you have a whole booklet on how to do this, Dr. Evan, can you tell our listeners where they could get more information? Yeah, um, well, we're an unfunded project so um, at the moment. So we haven't got our own website, but we have um, a Twitter account. If you go at Hector Cares, look for our green helmet symbol. Um, if you follow me, message me, um, we can direct message each other, share details, and I can, I can send you our manual. Great. Well, thank you very much, and uh, best of luck in keeping this going, and particularly in spreading the word. Thank you. Thank you.